welcome to Apotha Kelly, a podcast about herbs and natural healing. I'm Kelly Cook, creator of Moonflower Apothecary and Alchemy. Join me as we discuss various herbs and their many healing benefits. I'll share with you some nerdy herb facts, traditions, and some of my own tips and recipes. You'll learn creative ideas to start crafting your own herbal apothecary and how to bring this green magic into your life. Welcome back. I'm going to do another episode today on our immune stimulating herbs. Since we are full on into cold and flu season now where I live and probably where you live as well, I thought this would be a really great little set of podcasts to do so that we can all have a better understanding of how to use our herbal allies and when to use them. Uh, So as I said in the last podcast that we discussed honeysuckle, I'm going to start with the immune stimulating herbs because those are the ones that I get asked about the most. They're the ones that work the quickest and they seem to be the ones that I reach for in my apothecary immediately upon feeling a little bit off in my system. So just a quick recap. There are several categories of herbs, of course the immune stimulants, which we're going to discuss today, immune modulators, which are slower acting and can be taken on a daily basis during the fall and winter months, and immune tonics, which are meant for long-term use. Uh, They have a more modulating and tonifying effect to strengthen the overall immune system over the duration of their use. And then also some of these herbs fit into a category of antimicrobial herbs, meaning that they are very useful for directly addressing pathogens in the system, germs that have come into our body and are making us feel unwell. So today we're going to talk about a really cool little herb that's not actually an herb at all. Usnea, U-S-N-E-A, is the name of this herb. It's also called Old Man's Beard. And like I said, it's not actually an herb. It's a lichen or an algae and a fungi growing symbiotically together. So if you live in the southern region where I live, You'll see this very often growing on branches of trees, and it looks like a little string-like web hanging down from the trees. We're all very, very familiar with how Spanish moss looks growing from the trees in southern Louisiana. And we don't have that kind of eucinia here, although they are in the same family. So you'll have to do some research and find out what type of eucinia grows in the region where you live. Where I live, it's a shorter string of lichen and grows in my own yard off of my two maple trees. Uh, So when you harvest this herb, you want to harvest it fresh. Although it has such a low water content, it's really difficult to determine fresh herb from dried herb. So what I like to do is after a storm, particularly if it's been really windy, some limbs will come down and I go out into my yard and I try to harvest it right then 
off of the limb. If it's been laying around in the woods for a long time, it's likely that it's lost any water content that it would have had. And you really want to go for fresh herbs in this setting. So if you have Eustina where you live on your property, fantastic. If not, and you're looking to harvest it wild, I just want to mention to you that this herb works sort of as a filter. So it's going to absorb pollutants from the air and you're not going to want to harvest this from a heavily polluted area. So probably not on the trees, you know, downtown or roadside, anywhere where there's lots of pollution. If you live in a town, um, you know, a metropolitan area or a very populated area with lots of pollution it just may not be somewhere that you want to harvest this type of herb because it really does have a tendency to absorb pollutants thankfully it grows right in my front yard and i live in a very rural area so i do harvest it fresh right out of the trees once you identify eustina you're gonna find that it's very difficult not to harvest it. It's just kind of a fun plant to interact with. And the best way I can tell you to identify that plant is to take a little piece of it and grab it between your uh, thumb and forefinger and give it a tight pull with both hands, just like you were stretching a rubber band. And it will eventually break the exterior, which is algae, and you'll expose this thin white thread inside which is the fungi and it'll be a little bit stretchy kind of like a rubber band until it snaps that's the easiest way to identify that is just to look for that tiny white thread inside and the entire plant is used so you can pull it you know directly off the branch and use the entire thing try to get it as clean as you can I usually kind of give it a shake and try to brush off any dirt or debris from the tree but remember at the end you are going to strain everything out so just get it as clean as you can so eustia works really well on the lungs and also on the kidney and spleen the herbal actions for this plant are antimicrobial antifungal immune modulating immune stimulating, a demulcent, and a laxative. So I'll just explain real quick what a demulcent is. A demulcent is a property in herbs that makes sort of a, a mucousy, sort of slimy, wet secretion. That sounds really gross the way I'm describing it, but it's actually really useful. Think of marshmallow root or slippery elm or licorice root. Those are also demulcent type herbs. And the reason that they are useful, particularly when treating a respiratory condition, is because this demulcent action makes phlegm easier to cough up and out of the body. Sometimes phlegm gets deep down into the lungs and it gets thick and sticky and even hardened 
So you'll find that you're coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing and you can just almost get it, but you can't quite cough that out, which is what you need to do to ultimately clear it from the body. So a demulcent herb will help thin and loosen those secretions in the lungs so that you can more easily cough them out of the body. If you are interested in reading some more detailed information about using it, I will encourage you to go to the website karinawood.com, C-O-R-I-N-A-W-O-O-D, karinawood.com, and search for using it. Karina Wood is the founder of the Wise Women's group of southeastern United States. She's also one of the founders of Red Moon Herbs, which is located close to where I live. And she is not only one of my teachers, but a fantastic educator in the wise woman tradition of making herbal medicine. And there is a great article on her website under the Eusnia description. And it's an article written by Jessica Godino, who is the co-founder of Red Moon Herbs. And she just gives a really, really great explanation of what Eusnia is and how it's used in the body. And then she also gives her method of tincturing this herb to make medicine out of. So I encourage you to have a look at that. Eusnia works really great on its own. It does work in acute situations for respiratory illness um, to kind of help stimulate the immune system, although it is not a really aggressive immune stimulant. So I like to pair it with echinacea. Echinacea is a firecracker for the immune system. It is definitely not an herb that you want to take preventatively. You don't want to take it daily. It is a powerful stimulant to grab your immune system by the shoulders and shake the living daylights out of it so it goes to work. When you have a pretty serious respiratory infection, these two herbs together make a powerful medicine. I also like to combine Eusnia and Echinacea with another uh, demulcent type herb because these two herbs can be slightly drying in nature and you don't want to dry the system out so much that the tissues are unable to purge that phlegm and mucus. So consider adding marshmallow root or licorice to your herbal formulas. That makes a really nice trio, eusnea, echinacea, and marshmallow root work really well together when you feel like you have got a respiratory infection or a chest cold. Eusnea is most used for its antibiotic properties. It is truly an herbal antibiotic and it is such a wise medicine. The antibiotic properties of Eusnea are strongest in the respiratory and the urinary systems. They work really well in that way. So one really cool thing about 
using uh, using it as an antibiotic is that it is able to differentiate good bacteria from bad. So a lot of times when you're very sick and you have a, an infection and you have to take a, a pharmaceutic uh, antibiotic, is that a word? Pharmaceutic, pharmaceutical, whatever. If you have to take medicine from your doctor that is in the form of an antibiotic, very often you're left with a depletion of the really healthy gut flora, the good bugs that live in our gut that help not only in the digestive process, but also to fight off and protect us from pathogenic invasions, bad bacteria. So that is the typical use when an herbalist goes for Eustina. The reason it is so important is because like most herbs, they work with the body, not against the body. So where an antibiotic drug is going to go in, it is going to immediately start to deplete the system of the invader, the pathogen, whatever it is that's making you sick. Unfortunately, it doesn't know the difference because it has no intelligence. So it doesn't know the difference between the bad bacteria that it's there to get rid of and the good bacteria which keep you well. So at the end of your course of antibiotics, you probably have diarrhea, you might have a yeast infection, you might be dealing with thrush in the mouth, you just might be feeling overall kind of sluggish in your digestion. So then you're going to be needing to take a pre and probiotic to rebuild those healthy gut bacteria. I do recommend a prebiotic and probiotic anytime you have to take some sort of antibiotic that's been prescribed by your doctor. On the other hand, if you are able to catch an illness early on and it's not a severe illness, you can use Eusnea. And you have the benefit of this herbal intelligence. This plant knows when it enters the body how to go straight for the bad bacteria and annihilate them, leaving the good healthy gut flora so that the very perfectly aligned gut bacteria are unharmed and your digestive properties and your immune system which is heavily reliant on these bacteria are left intact. The most common bacteria that you'll find Eusnea used for, <laughs> Eusnea used for, feel like I'm repeating that same word over and over. Uh, you'll find it used for staph infections, strep, E. coli, pneumonia, and the HPV virus. It's also used for localized yeast infections, both vaginally and in the mouth, uh, such as thrush for oral hygiene. You can use this. I have also heard it used topically uh, for staph infect infections on the skin as well as cellulitis and it can be added to other poultices and treatments for wound healing because of its antibacterial and antibiotic properties. Alright, so how do you get this funny looking little herb into some medicine? 
it's a little bit of a stinker. Uh, it does not have a high water content, so it requires a little more effort to extract the medicine, but it's still a very easy process. Remember, this was being done long, long before modern science had even become a thing. People were using this herb as medicine, so it's not that difficult. It just requires a little bit more effort on your part. You're going to want to use a stronger vodka, 100 proof vodka is what I would use to tincture eucnea. It's not water soluble in that the plant constituents that you're trying to extract are not highly water soluble. There are some of them that are, um, for instance, the polysaccharides are water soluble and the rest of them need alcohol to make it a soluble, usable form of medicine. I like to use a hot extraction for eucnea. Uh, I feel like that heat further opens up the parts of the plant to release those molecules, to release those potent constituents of the plant. So I do use a hot alcohol extraction method and I'll go over that in just a minute. You do want to use caution with that, but again, this is super easy folk medicine. You can do this. You're going to go for a 1 to 5 ratio. Um, what that means is one part plant material, five parts liquid, five parts of your alcohol in this respect. So go out and harvest your eucnea and get about one to one and a half ounces of herb. That doesn't sound like a lot, but when you start harvesting it, you'll see immediately this is like little feathers. They're super light and you can get a lot of it in a jar. Um, if you don't want to be quite so specific with your measurements, no problem. Just take about a half of a quart jar loosely packed of herb. That's what you're going to want. And you're going to bring that inside. And what I like to do is use an old coffee grinder and just kind of chop it up as much as you can. Ideally, you're going to try to separate that outside coating of algae to expose the inner little white thread of fungi so that both parts of that plant can be exposed to your menstruum, whatever alcohol you're using. Um, just to help it along a little bit, and you can skip this step if, if you want. You don't have to do this. I like to do it just so that I can get as many of the medicinal components of this herb as possible into my medicine. So I take about one and a half ounces of the herb and I put it in a little saucepan with about one and a half cups of water. I put the lid on it and I heat it until it's just at a nice little simmer and I let it simmer covered for about 10 to 15 minutes. And then I turn off the heat and I let it cool completely. Then you're gonna take all of it, the herb and the liquid, and pour it into a clean glass jar, um, probably a quart jar is what I would use, and you're gonna fill it up with alcohol to make a one to five ratio. So again, one part herb, five parts alcohol. And then you're going to set it aside for six to eight weeks. 
if you want to do a traditional folk tincture, that's how you're going to do it. If you can sit it in a sunny window, all the better because that little tiny bit of heat really will help. Or if you want to do like I do and do a hot alcohol extraction, here's how you do it. So you're going to take a crock pot and put a dishcloth in the bottom of the crock pot, a little dishcloth or a hand towel, and then you're going to set the jar on top of the dishcloth, lid on. You want to make sure that lid's on there real good and tight. And then you're going to fill up your crock pot within one inch of the top of your sealed jar. You're going to turn the crock pot on low, leave the lid off so that it doesn't build too much heat, and let this go on low for one entire day. If by some chance you have a small crock pot or for whatever reason the water is evaporating very quickly, just keep an eye on this. If the water level gets below about half of the depth of your jar, go ahead and turn it off and let it cool completely. Hear me say, let it cool completely. I'll tell you a funny story at the end of this. Um, that you'll understand why. So you're gonna repeat this process for three to six days. So each day, you're gonna refill the crock pot to within a half an inch of the top of your sealed jar of herb, and you're gonna turn it on low, and you're gonna let it go, heating gently for an entire day, turn it off, let it cool completely, and repeat again. I recommend doing this for six days just because it makes a really strong, very potent tincture. And then you're going to strain this off and you are going to probably, I'm going to say you're going to need to double strain it at best because those little tiny particles of algae are so small they'll go straight through a cheesecloth. What you're going to be left with is a little um, powdery residue in the bottom of your tincture. It is not going to hurt you one bit. It is just medicinal herb matter. If it bothers you and you don't like a cloudy, murky looking tincture, no problem. Just let that completely settle to the bottom of your jar and siphon off the clearer liquid at the top. And this liquid should be sort of a light brownish um, to orange color kind of a golden color it may have a tinge of green in it do not be alarmed if it smells uh, I think anyway this is just my opinion if it smells very fungusy you've done a good job the good news is it has very little taste in an herbal formulation it's not as yucky as it smells because I don't think it particularly smells very good um, but it doesn't have too much of a taste I find it very easy to administer um, in most everyone it's very palatable I will not say the same for a tea and I personally just do not think that a tea is the best way to use this herb there are lots of recipes out there for eustia infusions, decoctions, teas, what have you. I just don't find that you're going to get enough of the medicinal properties of this herb 
to use only a water extraction. So, plus, I'm just going to be really honest with you, I'm pretty good at taking yucky herbs and this one in tea form is just gross. There is no way I could drink a cup of Eusnea tea. So I recommend that you make this one in a tincture. It also has a really long shelf life and it'll last you for quite some time. So let me tell you what is the most important thing about a hot alcohol extraction. <laughs> I read the funniest little article. Um, it's called, the blog is called Growing Up Herbal. And this lady does a really great job, so I encourage you to take a peek at her blog. But I was reading about Eusnea, and I came across this cute little title that said how to make Eusnea tincture and how not to. Oh, hi little spider. There's a little spider that's trying to crawl up my leg right now. <laughs> Pardon me as I move. Um, anyway, so this lady, she was giving a description of how to make you see a tincture and she's got several ways which are all wonderful and um, you can review those as well. They're a little different maybe than how I do it and I think they're excellent. But at the very end of this article, um, she mentions how not to do it and she includes a picture and it is shocking. So I encourage you not to do this and take her advice. Don't be lazy and try to rush up this hot alcohol extraction. Remember that what is inside the contents of that jar is under pressure and it is growing in pressure as it is heated and it will explode. And the best way to cause that to happen is an abrupt temperature change. So do not mess with that jar once you have started to heat it. Like I said, if you realize that your water is evaporating quickly and you can't turn your crock pot heat down any lower than you already have it, if it gets below half the depth of your jar, turn it off and let it cool completely. Completely cooled. Remove the jar, refill the liquid, replace the jar, and turn the heat back on. Evidently, this lady from the Growing Up Herbal blog got in a hurry, as we all do sometimes, and rather than removing the jar and letting it cool, she just added more water. It literally exploded all over her kitchen. It could have really hurt her. She did mention she had some burns on her arms and neck, and she also had Eusnea tincture plastered to her ceiling and cabinet, which I cannot imagine trying to scrub off of my ceiling. So take her advice, make sure you let it cool completely. But this really is a very, very simple herb to collect. It's very common. Unfortunately, it's not the easiest to come by in stores uh, like your co-op or you know places that you may buy other herbal formulas. For whatever reason, this one is kind of hard to come by, just like the honeysuckle. They're not commonly used in herbal pharmacopoeia, so these are often ones that you'll need to make yourself, but they're super, super easy. They work great to help fight colds and flu, and I really encourage you 
to get to know Eusnea as an herbal ally and to make this part of your home apothecary. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Apothecary. I hope you've enjoyed our topic today and have found inspiration for your own path of natural wellness. Until next time, may you be happy, healthy, and well, and may you add a little green magic into your day. Thank you.